You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. you guys. So you guys sound caffeinated and alive. You're ready to roll. Uh, okay, well, we are getting into our time where we open up the Word of God. Uh, we dig into what he, God has for us, and we just pray that God would speak to us, and we become more like Him. Uh, and so if you've been with us, you might know that we are in a new sermon series on Sunday mornings in the book of Philippians. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to physically turn it with me to Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you're totally able to use your Bible app on your phone, but that's a scary thing to pull out your phone because you're just going to get so distracted. It's true. We have Bibles on the left and the right if you want physical copies, or we have it on the screen as well. But uh, we are in week three of this study in the book of Philippians. And what we like to do here at Reality, we we like to teach, um, when we teach a book of the Bible, a lot of times we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and this is one of those seasons where we're doing that. And it's not... um, a speed test. We are not trying to go fast by any means. We're actually trying to go, okay, that's going to bother me. I don't know if that's, um, maybe we just unplug. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, distractions. If it's bothering me, I'm sure it's bothering you. Um, or now it will because I just t- told you to be bothered by it. But anyway, we are just kind of going slow through this. There's no rush to this. We're actually going to be studying the book of Philippians up until next Easter, like Easter 2024, like six or seven months here in the book. And really, we just want to like nibble off a little bit every Sunday. And so today we're doing actually more than we've done the last couple weeks. We're doing five verses. So, you know, it's a little bit more than normal. But anyway, we are going to be going through Philippians 1, 7 through 11 for our scripture. But for context sake, to remind us, who's writing this letter, who is it being written to, a little bit of the context. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 11. And so uh, if you can just start with me, and then we'll pray for our time. Philippians 1, 1 through 11 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I will always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And our verses today, 7 through 11, says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you once again that we have your word in front of us, that we might learn from it, hear your voice through it. And God, once again, even though this is a letter written to a church halfway around the world some 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different context, thank you that these truths of your word for us today as well. And so God, as we are reading them, as we're studying, as we're looking into them, I do pray, Lord, that we would view it as a letter written to reality Honolulu. That we'd receive it as a personal letter to us uh, in the same way. And God, I just want to lift up our hearts and minds this morning that, that we would grow. That we'd continue to grow into the likeness of Christ Jesus. God, that you challenge us in the areas of apathy and complacency and, and the areas that are stagnant. We pray that your love would illuminate the areas where you desire us to grow, to become more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, if you weren't with us the last few weeks, please go back and listen to the intro and the first few sermons of the series. But what this is, it's a letter. We call it a book, but it's a letter that was written by Paul the Apostle and his, his sidekick, young Timothy. And here they're writing from a place of imprisonment. Well, at least Paul is. He's under house arrest in the city of Rome. He's been imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And he's writing a few letters, Philippians being one of them, to a church he helped start. He helped plant so a few years prior. And we, we read the whole, you know, story of the, or, the origin story of this church in Acts chapter 16. So if you like to go back during your week and do a little homework, read Acts 16. You'll, you'll uh, be reminded of how the, the church that Paul's writing this letter to started. Paul says a lot of things in this letter. Uh, in a lot of ways... These are the last things that he wants to communicate to him because he is unsure and unclear if he'll ever see them again. He doesn't know his own fate. Uh, you know, Rome and Philippi at the time was quite a journey away. And so he really didn't know if he'd ever see them again, but he had a deep love and affection for them. Deep love and affection for this church that he had a very personal part in starting. And so in verses 7 through 8 of our text today, we see this. Paul is telling them like how much he loves them and cares about them and is encouraged by them. And he says, whether I'm there with you or not, just know that I love you and I'm with you in what God is doing. And again, it's not the, the only time that we're going to hear that once again, he has a deep personal connection to them. He loves them. He's encouraged by them. And when I read this, what, what I see is there's these two believers, there's these two sets of believers that are far apart in different contexts, in different cities, and it might have been even years have gone on since they've seen each other, but it reminds me of how sweet the fellowship and partnership that we as Christians are all supposed to have with one another. It's just a beautiful picture. Like, they're not in the same 
geography. They're not even in the same church. They're not attending the same church. By now, I'm sure they have slight difference of opinions. But they're Christians. They're brothers and sisters. They're in God's family. And it, rem- and it just reminds me of how sweet the fellowship and partnership as Christians were, were meant to have. How God designed it. See, when we talk about the church... There's either church with a capital C or church with a lowercase c. So Reality Honolulu is a part of the local church, lowercase c. But Reality Honolulu, as well as many other churches on island, are a part of capital C, the global church. Right? Christianity isn't just a a locale thing. It is a global movement. Started in Israel. Spread to the far corners of the earth. Through the word of God and through faithful witnesses, God has obviously expanded the kingdom of God and his church globally. But if you read the Bible, what this global capital C church is supposed to look like, it's actually supposed to be the most unified, loving communities on the face of the planet. That's what it's supposed to be. One body, many many parts. So, this is, this is where it gets a little tricky, though, right? Because so, as Christians, even though we're supposed to be unified, that doesn't mean that we're all supposed to be, like, homogenous. That we're all to look the same, regardless of nation and culture and theology and denomination. We're all supposed to be exactly the same. That's not the goal. Right? The goal isn't, like, to be homogenous, but rather... The global church, God's people, is supposed to be, right, a global, multi-ethnic, multilinguistic people who are actually really diverse and different. But what unifies us above all the differences is that we follow Jesus. So we actually are supposed to, naturally we're going to look differently. That's not a bad thing. But what is supposed to unify us above all things is that We're one body, and we serve one Lord. We're many parts. We look different. We act different. We talk different. But what unifies us, like the unifying factor is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We believe in him as Lord and Savior. We're redeemed, and we're new creations, and now we're to live into this new reality, this new kingdom. And we're supposed to do it in our local context. We're supposed to do it Whatever that may look like in your country, in your nation. Like, what does that look like for you to be this people group, but you're now redeemed by the person of Jesus? What does that look like for you now? But as much as that's supposed to be the church worldwide, we're supposed to be, even though we're different, we're supposed to be the most unified, loving, together people that's ever existed. To be honest... I think if we're all honest, when we look at and observe, like, what Christianity has become over the last 2,000 years, and even when we're currently, if we're thinking on a global level, like, it makes me personally, like, really sad how much we've gotten away from this idea. Because we all do it. But this, glo- this global church, we've kind of, sp- we've done a real good job at splicing ourselves up. Denominations. Theology, interpretation, politics, you name it. So, lowercase c churches now, 
we're just really good at hanging out with our own tribe. And I'm, 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 every one of us is guilty. It's not like I'm pointing fingers at like some church movement. No, no. This is across the board. We just all of a sudden like who's most like me in the Christian church? I'm going to hang most with them. And I'm kind of going to be like a little anti everyone else. Dude, it happens every, you don't, it doesn't matter what church you are. It doesn't matter how big you are. It doesn't matter what movement you are. We do this, subconscious or conscious. Ooh, but they're this type of Christian. You're like, where does that say that in the Bible? Where did you get that idea? Again, I understand that when Christian churches move so far away, maybe from biblically, that it's like, mm, I don't even know if you're Christian anymore. That's kind of different. But I'm saying for the most part, like a lot of times, right, we just get so used to how we grew up in church, what we like about church, that if it's not like that, then we're like, mm, I don't know if that's for me. Okay, I understand, but just know that's not biblical. Again, I think everyone, every Christian should be involved and plugged in and serving and connected to a local church. I think you got to be. <laughs> It's dangerous if you're not. It's just, you're just not supposed to be. You're not supposed to be away from community. And again, every church has its stuff, but we're so good. And instead of like looking at this huge, like, well, that's my brothers and sisters in Christ. And yeah, I might not fully agree with everything, but that doesn't mean that I can't still love them, pray for them, partner with them. That's why if you know, like, it's a really big deal if churches— anywhere in the world get together and do any kind of event with a different denomination, it's like needle in a haystack. Should it be? Absolutely not. Like we should be able to like cross denominations and be like, yep, I understand you emphasize that. I don't. Cool. No problem. Jesus is still Lord. But again, we don't do that. So what's neat though is that Again, what this letter to the Philippians just reminds me as I read it, and I think it reminds us, is that we're part of something bigger than just this local church or just our denomination or just our way of doing Christianity. But really, it's this global movement that we have brothers and sisters across all kinds of different stuff that we're supposed to still love and care for and pray for. So even though it's a little it's a messy in how we've done Christianity, um... I think Christ's love is obviously bigger than that, and we can still love and work towards partnering with our brothers and sisters in Christ despite our differences. And maybe, at least for me, it's, an, it's a, maybe a challenge, maybe you too, that remember even though other people you know go to different churches that maybe you wouldn't go to, remember we're all on the same team and we serve the same Lord. Um, not being from here and like kind of dropping in like seven years ago to plant a church, this was really um, eye-opening because small island, right? <laughs> and so I'm just thinking, ah, every Christian church is like got to love everybody and do everything with everybody. I'm like, oh my, not the case. So I came in and, you know, immediately it's like, well, w the question is like, who are you part of or what's your denomination? It's like, okay, I'm just a Christian. You know, and it's interesting because I, I feel like I can kind of see all these worlds. But I think there's a lot of work to do on this island as well. 
that, and we can help set that tone of like, oh yeah, it's totally cool. Small island, many churches, many people have gone to different churches. Like, it's cool. Let's just all try to see God's kingdom come. Let's all be faithful to where he has us. And let's all be friends. <laughs> so you guys can help, help do that with friends and family, you know. Um, but just remember, on the same team, same Lord. Paul is really into this idea that he doesn't just only write this in Philippians. He says this to another church in a letter to this church in this city called Galatia. Right? We have the book or the letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Back then, just like today, there was things that the church was trying to put in place to make divisions. And Paul says, stop. We're all in, all one in Christ Jesus. Didn't just say that in Philippians. Didn't just say that in Galatians. Another read a letter while uh, here in prison, same time he wrote, he encouraged a very similar thing to the church at Ephesus. Again, the letter to the Ephesians or the book of, Eph of Ephesians. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes, because there's one body and there's one spirit. And just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, Paul is always trying to remind us of what is most important, the common denominator, what brings us together, not what brings us apart. Paul, over and over in these new churches, would have to fight, 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 and remind them, like, there's so much that you want to talk about that's dividing you. Well, what's unifying you, though? Stick to the thing that unifies you. Run hard after that. And again, I love it because Paul is just reminding us this morning how um, that's how we're supposed to be. And continuing on in verses 9 through 11, Paul shares how he is praying for this church. Really, what this is, is Paul's prayer and his plea that they would continue to grow. In other words, he's kind of saying, okay, so cool. You guys are a church. You've been a church for a couple years. Right on. And you're doing it. Cool. But he also knows too, uh, all too well that when you get into a normal rhythm, when you've been a church for a bit or you've been a Christian for a while— like any of us, time and normalcy in our Christian walk can cause apathy and complacency. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how many times you've read the Bible, we're all susceptible to becoming stagnant and complacent in our Christian walks. And even as a church, this can happen to any church, where you just get comfortable and you become maybe a little bit complacent. So what Paul is doing is he's challenging them. He said, I'm praying this for you, and I'm pleading with you that you'd continue to grow. So Paul, in essence, is saying to these believers here in Philippi is don't be stagnant. Like, good job being a church and doing all the good things, but don't get comfortable and keep growing. And he really says it in three ways, threefold. Number one is, 
that their love may abound. Number two is that they would grow in wisdom and discernment so that they would bear fruit for the glory of God. Paul says, you're a church. Good job being a church. Good job being faithful. God is using you. Don't get complacent. Right? Because they've had a lot of opposition. They've had persecution. Maybe it was hard to start. So naturally, might be like, okay, well, let's just do the status quo, and let's just get by, and let's just be a church in this city. Paul says, continue growing. Let your love grow. Let your love abound. Grow in wisdom. Grow in discernment. Like, bear fruit. Produce fruit for the glory of God. What Paul is calling them to, and what I believe the word of God this morning is calling us to, is growth. Like, don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. Again, Paul also writes this similar thing to another church and another letter to a church in the city of Colossae. We have it, the letter of Colossians, right? Colossians 1, 9 through 10, Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a, a, a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. What he's telling the, the Colossians in the very start of their letter is exactly what he's saying to the church in Philippi here. He's saying it's meant to be that you continue to grow in the knowledge of God. That you become more like Jesus. And the truth for you and I as we hear this is that when we're saved, like when you give your life to Jesus... Like, that isn't the end. That's actually the beginning. That's the start of a new life. That's the beginning of what we can sometimes say in, like, in Christianese, right, that we start our walks with the Lord. We're saved, and that's actually the start of now walking with Jesus as our Lord. And so, naturally, our life is actually supposed to, like, fully start changing. Because again, once you see, like, when, when you're born again, again, another Christianese phrase. Once you're born again, or in other words, once you surrender your life to Jesus, right? Once he forgives us and we're saved, like, that is the very moment that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, where God dwells in us. And that's cool, but there's more than just being cool. There's a purpose to that. One of the main purposes of God's Spirit dwelling in each of us is that over the course of our entire life, like you don't ever reach the end until you see Jesus face to face, right? One of the main purposes of God's Spirit in us over the course of our, our entire earthly life is to transform us from the inside out into more into the likeness of the person of Jesus. By definition... Again, I, I harp on this a lot, and I say this a lot because I think it's the core of our identity. But if you're a Christian, what that means is that you are a little Christ. What it, that means is that if you call yourselves a Christian, your life is supposed to be like Christ so that other people would go, 
oh, I see Christ in you, or I see the character of God in your life. Like, over time, what discipleship is, is learning from Jesus how to be like Jesus. We're students. We're learners. And so a core component to church, to Christianity, is actually to learn to grow, to learn to become more like him. Head knowledge is like this much of it, and like heart change is about this much. So Paul's plea to them, and I think to us this morning, is that both individually and corporately as a church, that we'd continue to grow to be more like Jesus. Like when we read the gospel accounts and we see how he lived and how he acted and reacted and how he cared for the marginalized and how he gave so generously of himself and how he was so inclusive to the outcasts in society. Like if you look and study the person of Jesus, that is our roadmap roadmap for our own lives. That's how we are to be in our own local context. And not only for us to grow individually and corporately as a church, but that in turn, we would have this like greater effect that God's kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven outside the four walls of the church. Again, church is supposed to be like a time where we gather and then you scatter. If you just gather as a church and it's just this club that you all hang out with and you talk about Jesus here and then none of it goes out there, we like totally missed it. But then again, if you're so out there and you never gather and you never grow and you never learn, you have no community, that's not good either. It's both and. As Christians, as disciples, not just at reality, I'm talking like global, you're, you're supposed to be a church that gathers and scatters. And you need both. And so, like for me, personally, how I grew in my life how I matured, how I became more like Jesus. Again, I, I didn't have a secret recipe. Um, there is not a secret recipe to this. But there's a couple things that if I look back on the course of my life by the grace of God, either happened or provided, and I just want to share them because it might give a little bit of practicality. So if you want to grow in Jesus, number one is you, you want to need to. Like you, you need to want to. What is it? You, you, you have to want to become like Jesus. It has to start there. Like, do you want to grow? Do you want to become more like him? Do you want him to increase so that you would decrease? Or not? It's like any other thing in life. You have to want it. You have to want it. That's the start. You have to have the desire to become more like him. But also... <clears throat> What's really fruitful, I think biblical, is to surround yourself with other people that want it also. Doesn't have to be all the time, but you have to be intentional. And church is good, but I think a smaller group outside of church is even better. A Hana group, small group, get some friends together and like talk about and pray about like how do we grow in Jesus? How do we grow? How do we become more like him? Challenge each other, pray for each other. Like Again, there's not one recipe, but first is like you got to want it. Second, it's like surround yourself with people that also want it. 
Also, if possible, again, this is really hard to do, but if there's ever a chance that you can just, like, befriend and approach someone and say, hey, can you be my mentor in this? Just older, wiser, like, hey, can you just, maybe someone you trust and just, like, hey, even if it's, like, once a month lunch, because someone's like, how the heck am I going to fix like mentorship, it's like once a month lunch. Meet with them and just check in and say like, hey, how do you think I could grow? I know that's vulnerable, but I'm saying if you have a mentor or even someone you're around and you just hang out with and you just watch how they follow Jesus. Apprentice them. Paul often in his letters would say, follow me as I follow Christ. It's that idea, like surround yourself with people that maybe have been walking with Jesus, that want to know Jesus, that want to grow in Jesus. And if you want it, and you look at their life, you're going to grow. And the last way I would say that it helped me, and I think is super good, is uh, serve. Serve people. Serve the church. Serve. Serve. Give of yourself. You will grow. You will be challenged by the sacrifice or the time sacrifice or doing something you don't want to. That will cause you to grow. You'll be challenged when you start serving. And the best way to know how God's gifted you as well is to serve. Like, what are you passionate about? What are you gifted to do? Like, what's your heart with other people? Like, start serving other people. Again, it could be structured in the church. It could be outside the church. But serve other people. And I guarantee you, you'll become, become you'll grow to become more like Jesus. Because serving others is sacrificial. There's generosity involved. There's sacrifice involved. There's preferring others above yourself. I mean, there's all these biblical concepts when you serve. <laughs> this is a funny illustration. But um, growing up, I was really into sports. Uh, any sport, really, that my friends were playing, I would play. Um, played everything, loved it. And if you wanted to get good at something, if you wanted to get good at a sport, you, you also did these things. You wanted to get better. You surrounded yourself with people that also wanted to get better. You looked up to people that were better. And then serve, like you practiced, you did it. So recently, many of you have gotten me into pickleball. Uh, Daddy, he's the one, but thank you. I'm so, I love it. Um, I got the pickleball bite this summer, and, you know, I haven't played a ton of sports in my adulthood, or at least since I had kids. And it's so interesting because when I, when I look at, too, how do you grow to become better at pickleball? Because these guys are really good. So I'm trying to, I mean, it's competition is what is happening. But you do the same thing. Right? You want it. I want to get better. I want to grow. There's a desire that has to happen. Then I play with guys that are better than me, that also want. If you want to get good at pickleball, play with Daddy. Seriously. De Derek, Zach, all these guys are really good. But then you like literally a mentor or someone that's really good. There's a few of them. You just watch how they're doing it, you, 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 you try to practice, you try to do it, and then you just keep playing, and then over time, you do this with literally any sport, regardless of your athletic ability, you will get better. Again, I, I played a lot of sports, and I currently am playing sports a bit, 
and it's a silly analogy, but discipleship and growth with Jesus, you can follow a similar step and you will become more like Jesus. Because I think it, it becomes this daunting, very vague, ethereal thing that you hear a sermon on Sunday from a pastor that says, just become more like Jesus. And you're like, how do I do that? Okay, well, it's first, do you want to? If you don't, okay, that's the first step. Like, we got to pray that in. Why is that? Right? But then you, if you want it, then you surround yourself with other people that also want it. Then you get a mentor, and then you start serving, and then you know what I mean? Then, like, you look a year from now, and I guarantee you, money-back guarantee, okay, that you will become more like Jesus. You'll be less selfish, and you'll be more other-centered. You'll be more loving and less, I don't know, hating. You just will. Like, there'll be areas that you'll be like, wow, because I wanted it and because I surrounded myself. And so a few questions just to think and pray about pray about as I finish here. This is for all of us, myself included. How might we be challenged to grow as Christians in our, in our walks? How might we be challenged to mature? Another question would be is, where are we stagnant? And again, for some of us, we, might even, we may not have ever even thought this way. Like, we may just be going through the motions because we got saved, and, like, we should just go to church, and the Bible's good, and it has a lot of great things in it. So maybe these are new to you, but I think, I think it'll prompt growth, right? What might be challenged to grow? What might we be challenged to mature? Where are we stagnant? And, okay, this is an important one. If we're not growing in Jesus to become more like him, like if we are truthful and our life is no different today than it was a year ago, let's say. Why is that? Like, what is getting in the way? Again, it's really easy because it's very tangible with sports. If you're like, oh, I'm not getting any better in that area of that sport. Then you would ask these questions like, why? What do you need to work on, though? Like, are you, do you need to train or do you need skills? Or like, like, what is it? Why aren't you able to grow? But I think so many times our spirituality, our walks with the Lord are very vague. It's ethereal. It's, it's hard to quantify sometimes. So that's why I think it takes a little bit of like pausing and reflection. Maybe it's in second set of worship. Maybe it's this week. But take stock. Right? Take stock of your Christianity. Again, sometimes you, some of you have been walking with the Lord for one week and some of, have been 50 years in this room or more. But take stock. Even think of like a year ago and be like, ah, if, if I was going to ask someone that was honest with me, if I look more like Jesus or less like Jesus or, or unchanged, what would they say? I know it's vulnerable to ask, but again, I think the plea and the prayer that we see from Paul, I think we should rightfully apply it to ourselves. I think we should ask ourselves individually and corporately as Reality Honolulu, do we look more like Jesus today than we did Last year, last month kind of thing. Amen? Don't stop growing. Let's press in. Let's become more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for... Well, thank you that you're a loving God and you're a loving Father that actually really wants the best for us. And so you do want us to grow. 
Like you want us to become um, more like you and you want us to live into like how you designed us to be. You really do want us to be freed of the sin which so easily entangles us. You want us to be free of our selfish motives. And so, Lord, I do pray, Lord, that you would illuminate the areas where you want us to grow. I pray, all of us, I pray that all of us would take stock of maybe the areas that have become stagnant. Whether it's our speech, whether it's our thought life, whether it's our way we treat others. God, would you make it really practical and clear where you want us to grow? Help us to be free uh, of, of being so ethereal and vague with our Christianity. Just like in other things like sports, we want to really examine how we're doing and how we're growing um, so that we can not only honor and glorify you, but we can be even more effectively used for you, for your kingdom, and for your glory. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.